On the 10th of July, 2012, Christopher Edwin Bro released his debut studio album one week earlier than advertised to combat internet leaks. The 25-year-old singer-songwriter had spent the early years of his career as a ghostwriter, working behind the scenes writing hits for artists including Justin Bieber, John Legend, and Brandy. But his well-received mixtape the previous year had made Bro the darling of the music world, with big-time artists such as Pharrell, John Mayer, and Andre 3000 reaching out to be a part of Bro's debut album. The album was met with universal acclaim from critics, who lauded the album's songwriting, mature explorations of themes such as unrequited love and spirituality, and its pioneering sound which would push the boundaries of future R&B releases throughout the decade. Media attention bubbled over Bro's androgynous songwriting, with an announcement prior to the album's release that his first love had been a man. As Alexis Petridis wrote in his review for The Guardian, Perhaps this is R&B's Ziggy Stardust moment, where the controversy and publicity surrounding an artist's sexuality and the brilliance of his latest album combined to give his career unstoppable momentum. Bro was nominated for six Grammy Awards the following year, winning the award for Best Urban Contemporary Album. Titled as an allusion to the first time that the singer fell in love and perceived everything to be a certain colour, Channel Orange would go on to be certified platinum in both Australia and the United Kingdom, and gold in the United States. In 2015, Bro would legally change his name to his long-adopted stage pseudonym, Frank Ocean. However, we are not here today to talk about Frank Ocean's Channel Orange. Instead, we're going to talk about an album that came out one week before it, and was also nominated for Best Contemporary Album at the Grammys. We're going to talk about the critically panned fifth studio album by Chris Brown, we're going to talk about Fortune. Alright, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name's Judd Boaz, and uh, the very first edition, and I'm joined by the ever-present now, Pedro Duran. Hey, how are you going, Pedro? I'm good. How are, how are you, man? I'm excited. I've, I've been thinking about this... Oh God, this album has been in my head in a bad way for uh, for the past couple of days. I've been excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, it's uh, it's it's fun, man. It's a it's a interesting interesting uh thing that we've tried to uh, uh take upon us to listen to. So we're we're doing these two albums. We're comparing and contrasting these two albums: Frank Ocean's Channel Orange with Chris Brown's Fortune. Uh, so right off the bat, what do you know about these two albums before? Because you you actually pitched this in an email to me. It was one of the one of the album pairs that you listed. What jumped out at you about this? What do you know about these two albums? These two artists. Well, well, well as far as the albums go, I don't, I didn't really know much about them. Uh, I probably knew a little bit more about Channel Orange. Uh, I didn't listen to it when it first came out because um, when it comes to R and B, I like R and B, but I'm not the biggest biggest fan. I don't necessarily go out to uh, pick up an album or listen to it on streaming services or anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'll listen to them casually, but um, once I revisited uh, the albums, I found myself. I was like, "Oh wow!" I actually listened to a lot of these songs on my, uh, you know, on my playlist, on my random playlist. So I, I really enjoyed uh, Frank Ocean's uh, "Channel Orange," and then on the other side, with Chris Brown, uh, I found that. I actually heard a lot of these songs on the radio um, at the time that they were being released. But um, it, to be honest with you, man, it was really hard for me to get through that Chris Brown 
album. It was rough. Did you I, do it in one sitting? It, no, that, I didn't. Honestly, it was it was rough for me. Yeah, I had I listened to it until uh, maybe like fifteen tracks in or something, and then I had which to is sit- which just listen to yourself say until fifteen tracks. Usually yeah. that's like that's like an album's worth already. Yeah, I mean it's long. First thing, it's it's a long album, and the thing about it is that we were we were actually talking about it, and I sent you a message, and I was like, "Are you listening to the deluxe album or the standard?" And it turns <laughs> out that I was actually listening to the extended uh, album, so it actually has like 22, 23 tracks on there. Yeah, so, so that's even beyond what I listened to, which was the I, I like I mine had nineteen tracks or something. The mm. the deluxe edition, which is like seventy three minutes long already. Like, where does Chris Brown get off? doing a 73 minute album i don't know man i don't know it was crazy it's crazy and a, and the thing about it it's like it's it's just hard to listen to i had to actually take a break so um midway through so okay so here's the thing we're, we're doing chris brown we're doing chris brown album um this came out in 2012 as we said there is no way to do a podcast about chris brown without talking about what happened in 2009 his legal issues so i'm gonna I'm going to run through it, all right? I'm going to run through the case, and then and then we can deal with it afterwards, but we got to get it out of the way, okay? At around 12.30 a.m. on February the 8th, 2009, Brown and his then-girlfriend, singer Rihanna, had an argument which escalated into physical violence, leaving Rihanna with visible facial injuries which required hospitalization. Brown turned himself in to the LAPD Wilshire station later that day. Brown immediately hired a crisis management team and released a statement saying, words cannot begin to express how sorry and saddened I am over what transpired. On March 5th, 2009, Brown was charged with felony assault and making criminal threats. Brown pleaded guilty to a felony and accepted a plea deal of community labor, five years probation, and domestic violence counseling. The judge also retained a five-year restraining order on Brown, which requires him to remain 50 yards, 50 meters, away from Rihanna and uh, reduced to 10 meters at public events. Of the of the incident, Brown said, I'm pretty sure we can always be friends. I don't know about our relationship, but I just know definitely that we ended as friends. He stated he did not feel that his career was over and likened his relationship with Rihanna to Romeo and Juliet, blaming the media attention on, in the aftermath of the assault for driving them apart. What do you think, Petra? I mean, I remember when this all happened. It was it was, it was pretty crazy because I remember what uh, looking at the photos, the aftermath photos of her face being all beaten up and everything like that. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a crazy crazy thing. But I was also thinking like it's not the first time that we've heard like pop stars or or rock stars get into these type of like altercations. Here's the thing, like we've and even like recently, like the revelations of like John Lennon assaulting his wife mm-hmm. um, and, and being a bit of a tyrant. And then like I remember even I've watched like interviews of like Sean Connery being interviewed by Barbara Walters where he's like, Yeah, it's okay to you just give a woman a slap. Dude, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And it's it's wild. It's yeah. wild. you think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad. It must, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. What would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else. But I think more so than any of the, like, you know, we, we know lots of, of rock stars aren't, aren't great people, but the it was the images of mm. this. It's like a beloved pop star, mm-hmm. Rihanna, and the images that were released of her face afterwards, that is going to mark his career more than like hearsay or, you know, he might have done this, but like you see, you actually saw the effect. It marks his career and 
forever this little asterisk next to his name of of uh, a beater of women yeah he's and, always uh, gonna domestic have that. violence he's always gonna have that yeah he's always gonna have that on his uh on his record or reputation it's always gonna be a stain and he also he kind of he addresses a little bit of that stuff without coming out blatantly on the album too which i thought was pretty interesting um to to her credit rihanna has moved past it like she's not defined as being a victim like she's become pop royalty superstar in her own right um and and they you know they made up and as i'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit later they did remixes together after the after the fact yeah yeah so i think she just yeah she was able to capitalize like that sounds like a terrible thing to say but she was able to use it to uh her advantage and progress her career where i think whereas chris brown's never to to show how strong she was moving yeah for sure because in her position she as the victim you're going to come out on the on the on the better half of it whereas chris brown um it like i said it's always going to be a a stigma on, on his record but what do you think do you think it's kind of slowed down his career or um i don't know I, don't, I mean, obviously, I, I remember living in Hong Kong, and this was this would have been like 2015, 2016 around. So this is seven or eight years hence mm-hmm. after the event. And I remember there was news because this is this club in town, Volar or whatever, and there was, everyone was talking, Chris Brown's in town. He's going to go to Volar tonight. Like, he's going to be in the street with his posse, Chris Brown. And all the female friends I had, all the female friends I, I knew were saying, let's go and boo really? the fuck out wow. of him. And then they, they went, I think, and they, they stood... And they were just like jeering at him, and I'm pretty sure the whole street joined in and just booing this guy as a as a representation of like toxic mm. behavior, domestic violence. And this was so this was years after. So it's always, especially with 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 people that maybe used to be mm-hmm. his fans or were Rihanna fans or something. It definitely is mm. always there. It's always yeah, been yeah. A thing. Hmm. interesting. And then, so I was thinking, right, this album originally was scheduled to be released six months after his fourth album in, in 2011. This got pushed back yeah. a year, this album, Fortune, which we're going to talk about, um, which explains maybe some of the stylistic choices, I think. And then I was looking and I was trying to do like research on um, like the interviews around it or him talking about the album. It is so hard to find information on this album. Like it was very difficult. And I think the reason for that is that he did no interviews after this because the previous album that he did, mm. Fame, which is sort of the companion piece, you got the fortune mm. and the fame. He did an interview on uh, Good Morning America where he like apparently stormed out after being asked about the Rihanna uh, legal case and he was asked about it and asked about it and he just stormed out. Um, and this is all allegedly, right. right? But allegedly, according to TMZ, not the most reputable, Brown stormed backstage after the interview and smashed a window with a chair, causing it to shatter and shards of glass to fall on the sidewalk of 43rd Street and Broadway. Security was reportedly called to the scene, but by the time they arrived, a shirtless Brown was already headed out the door. And Good Morning America says, no, no, we asked him, we asked him, and he gave us the green light to ask him about Rihanna before the interview. Um, And then shortly after the incident, Brown took to Twitter and wrote, quote, I'm so over people bringing up the past shit up. Yet we praise Charlie Sheen and other celebs for their mm. bullshit. End quote. Um, so obviously, like he was, just, I, th- I think he just released this album. No interviews, no press, no behind the scenes or nothing. So we're just going in as a listener here. I, it's very hard to uh, to find to find anything yeah, about yeah. it. Wow, that's that's crazy. I didn't I didn't know about that. So that's true. It does sound like he does have uh, some anger issues, man. 
Yeah, and um, and it, it's funny though because Frank Ocean is a very private person as well. Doesn't doesn't do many like interviews. Very like artistic. Keeps to himself. So it's an interesting dichotomy of uh, of that. Just a couple more things. I have this little segment I want to do. We will get to the album. Um, I want to call it the Refresher. Do you know what So Fresh is? Uh, no, I don't. So Fresh is a compila- compilation album in Australia that's very, very okay. popular. It's like a Now That's What I Call Music. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to call it the Refresher. This is So Fresh, the hits of winter 2012 when this came out in Australia, okay? This is what was like popular in pop culture. These are the songs on this compilation CD, So Fresh, Winter 2012. Number one with a bullet, Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. You got One Direction with One Thing. Maroon 5 featuring Wiz Khalifa, Payphone. Rihanna, interestingly enough, Where Have You Been? Nicki Minaj with Starships. So you sort of get the, this is the the vibe we've got of this, this period in time in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And on the track listing, number 16, Chris Brown, Turn Up The Music. He's on there. So this was, it was a popular mm. song. It was in the, it was in the, I don't know, atmosphere at the time. Shall we, di- shall we dive into the music? Let's do it, man. Okay, this is Chris Brown's Fortune. We open up with Turn Up The Music. What a song to open your album with. Yeah. What, what did you get out of this album, of this song? Um, it was funny because, like I said, I've never listened to this album in, in completion or, you know, at all, whatever. And then when I started listening to this, I was like, oh, wow, I have heard this song like a million times. On, like a million yeah times. on the radio um it, it's good it's a catchy song i mean it's a good anytime i listen to an album i always think you should always put your best foot forward so it's definitely a catchy song definitely i mean obviously the single so he definitely wanted to open it up with it um i mean it's a banger it's something that you can play in the club or uh in your car and things like that and i thought it was, it was good and catchy and I think it ticked all the boxes. So, I mean, what do you think about it? Okay, this is this is the the metaphor. When I was listening to it, I came up yeah. with in The Simpsons. There's an episode where Homer wants to be an inventor, and he invents a makeup gun, yeah. which is basically just shooting Marge yeah. in the face. Yeah, I with remember a, that. A shotgun full of makeup. Yeah, that's what I feel about this song. Yeah, is, is he just opens the album with a full frontal shotgun blast of mid 2010s nightclub pop. Yeah, and it's so because it, I was you know I was like young at the time and i was going out to clubs and this is like i can it, it brings back this song in particular and if you please listen along every time we talk about a song just go and listen to 10 seconds of it because you'll know what i mean this song sounds like five dollar vodka raspberries yeah yeah I this mean- song this song sounds like Lynx africa to yeah. me and and britney spears fantasy perfume or you know like Paco Rabanne, one million for any classy cats out there. Yeah, it's funny because I listened to it and it just, it, it's like a time machine. It literally did take me back to every club that I was going to at the time and just been like, oh yeah, I was at like just knocking back shots with just random people at this period of my life, you know? And it was like the crest of like, oh, let's start putting more EDM elements into our popular music yeah. and, you know, like the harmonics and the synths and like even the bridge or the hook is he's referencing lmfao sexy and i know yeah, it. yeah. he's like if you're sexy and you know it put your hands in the and i was like oh yeah when i listen to this it reminds me of los angeles because I, I was living in los angeles at the time and just fucking just people just it was just it, los angeles is a very big party city so you go down hollywood boulevard and just clubs and stuff like that and just people in and out and bar hopping and stuff like that and that's I was listening to this the other day and I was like, wow, it just literally took me back to, to that time period and 
of of that time of that party scene and everything so it's not as annoying as sexy and i know it no party rock and like it's not it's not that annoying like that that is the worst to me to me like lmfao is like the chicken mcnuggets of music where it's not really food but it doesn't mean it doesn't serve like a role and i haven't enjoyed it at at a point in my life but um i can see the appeal of this song yeah i will say that like do you think it's because i think i think chris brown is actually he can sing he's very he's talented and he can dance his ass off so do you think that's the difference whereas um you know party rock anthem it's just kind of like whatever it's maybe highly very highly produced and stuff like that whereas chris brown i mean there is some talent uh behind that behind the track it's always going to be hard to compliment him like especially after what we just talked about but like i i'm with the belief of separating the art and the artist and then you can and, and a horrible person can make art that is pleasing or is aesthetically valuable um but mm. boy, as we as we go through this album boy did he make it hard for us yeah yeah um and and so separating that like he re- reprehensible person and when he was 20 years old did something horrible that will mark his career as it should but the guy can fucking sing and the guy can dance mm. like if you I watch the music video for turn up the music the guy can dance yeah. and he's clearly like inspired by Michael Jackson and that's a huge influence for him mm-hmm. but like this guy is a tremendous dancer and he has the singing ability and I was listening some of the tracks very few times does he actually get to shine it because it's being smothered to death by this production like mm. this like high budget Chris production but there's a couple moments in this album like he can sing as well as Frank Ocean. Yeah. He has he can hit those notes as well and he has the soul. He just doesn't do it. Yeah, Maybe I, because it doesn't make as much money. Yeah, I agree. He can't he yeah, the production does overbear his voice. It's overbearing and like it's crazy. None more so than the next track. We're going to the second track on the album Baseline, which is a dubstep song has like dubstep element. Jesus Christ, is there some dubstep on this on this song? It is it is a lot. Yeah. Um, so, and this is this is what I'm talking about. The album was delayed 12 months, and so I think by 2012, by the time this came out, because it had been delayed 12 months, dubstep was already passe. It was already like, oh, dubs, like you're gonna have a you're gonna have a drop in your in your pop song, because like the year before 2011 was when like Bangarang would have come out by Skrillex, and even when Bangarang came out, people were like, oh, it's sort of not cool anymore to like to like dubstep. Yeah, I, I I found this song very annoying, man. Uh, yeah, the hook was annoying. I just it just it just driving me mad. This is it, it's interesting to go from that first song, turn up the music, where it's kind of like, all right, cool, it's a banger. I remember playing, hearing it a bunch of times, and then all of a sudden this, and I was like, oh, this is probably this song, baseline. If the album continues in this uh, in this direction, we're gonna cancel the podcast. We we can't do it. <laughs> we can't do it anymore if it continues like this. Yeah, it, yeah. It was just like I can't do it. So I mean, I, I think if I was listening to the song in my car and I had like a big bunch of speakers and subwoofers and a good system, then it would be a banger. But it's not a song to listen to at home or on your headphones which i did when i assume you were listening to you know just on your headphones yeah yeah on my headphones this is not a song to just be sitting there and listening to your headphones this has to be this has to be in some kind of other environment where you're not really listening to it you're just uh blowing it up just to i guess show off the system in your car basically okay so that's interesting because you didn't listen to channel orange when it came out did you think it came out the same week, released the same, you know, like within a week of each other? Did you think it sounded as dated? Uh, Channel Orange? Mm, no. I, I listened to both of them in the day, like one after the other. It is just polar opposites. Like, 
as you said, like this album just comes out like a shotgun blast, just bumping and, and, and loud and somewhat obnoxious. Whereas then Frank Ocean's album is just so low key and mellow. And you're just like, oh, like the starter, cha- the starter channel orange, you have like, it's like a little skit and you have the PlayStation um, startup yeah. sound. I think it's Street Fighter and actually, then, the little homage. Uh, yeah. It might be, yeah. And then it goes into Thinking About You, which is like yeah. a big song and it's like an excellent song, but it's still like very low key, very chill R&B. It's complete opposite. Right, right, right exactly. So um, it was interesting to 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 see uh the, the to hear the difference between the two the two albums there so hazel robinson of california literary review magazine noted that the word baseline in the song baseline is a metaphor for a penis oh really so thank you thank you hazel couldn't have worked that one out uh by ourselves okay so the next song and this is where i really want to get into the production it's till i die featuring big sean and wiz khalifa immediate change right we went from like two edm bangers to like oh chris brown wants to be a little bit like hood the production on this song, this was the song, like I, I could sit through baseline. This was the song where I didn't know if I could do it because the production is insane. Please go listen to the song Till I Die, Chris Brown, where they're putting like sci-fi sounds every four seconds or something and like beeps and boops. The melody is good. I don't hate Big Sean. Wiz Khalifa is amicable in this song, but the production, the, the sound effects they're putting are so annoying. I could barely listen to it. Yeah, I agree. Like it, it almost changes up every other bar or something. Like the whole beat changes. It's just like it'll be like a pop song and then kind of hip hoppy. And then it's just laser sounds or alien music after a bit. And it's just like, what the fuck what, is going yeah, what, on? What, what were they doing? What were they thinking? Um, and I don't know if that was popular around the time, but Call Me maybe didn't have it in it, you know. Well, maybe Starships had it. Maybe that's where they got it from. Maybe, uh, yeah. I've listened. To, I've actually listened to this album through twice, and then I went back to individual songs after that because I, you know, I want to take notes and stuff. And I, I couldn't tell you what the songs sound like, and I couldn't mm. tell you the actual sounds of the song. I like, I know the words sort of, but the actual sounds. I hadn't listened to Channel Orange prior to this for like a year two years years but i listened to it a lot and i could i could still tell you the sounds that make up a lot of those songs because they're like immediately not so dated and not so annoying but they're Mm. also more iconic so like at the start of super rich kids there's the piano it's like dun 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 almost like a benny and the jets elton john thing yeah yeah or at the start of monks which i love and you got the bass synth line coming in and then the snare comes in like, and it's, it's just like, it wakes you up. It brings you up. I can glean no sounds from any of this album. It's all just like a high budget production mess. Yeah, it's it's a lot, like, especially maybe in this song too. I just remember like, it was like, basically like, zoom, zoom, zoom. It was like, it really is like, what the fuck is going on? It's just noise after a bit, you know, like, I, and it, it's funny, like, you don't ever want to sound like the old person in the room, but I can understand like how senior citizens can listen to a song like this and be like, "Hey guys, yeah, modern is... modern music sucks." Yeah, so it, like I can understand it, right? Because it's just like this is just noise after a bit. So I mean, some positive things I will say. I love Big Sean. I'll, I'll, I'm always going to try to listen to anything Big Sean comes out with. I just like his voice and I like his flow and I like his metaphors. I like the rhyme that he says in this. Uh, he was like, uh, "I'll knock that pussy out and call it a cat nap." It's fine. <laughs> That's it, pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah. It's, it's like harkens to like Little Wayne stuff or like a Drake line or something like that. It's fine. Um, Wiz Khalif was fine as well. I thought his cadence on the on the on the beat was was dope. I mean, he rides it well. Um, 
But other than that, it's just I I couldn't tell you anything about it. I like uh, Chris Brown was forgettable uh, uh, on this track, so it was it was whatever. I I it's such it's such a song that I'm just easy to uh, just skip immediately. So that's the thing I've noticed is like whenever Chris Brown is a feature on a song, he's the least interesting part of that song mm. immediately, right? Mm. So like Big Sean with Khalifa more interesting. The next song I think Nas is more interesting. Yeah. Kiss Kiss with T-Pain. I think T-Pain's more interesting. Yeah, for Look sure. Look at me now with Buster Rhymes. Buster yeah. Rhymes steals the song. Yeah. Like, he's always the that's, back seat. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, it's crazy. So the, the next song, fourth song, Mirage. So we had two EDM bangers. Now we have two, like, street songs, sort yeah. of. And this was the first song, I think, that I was, like, listening to the lyrics. And I was like, for a man that three years ago was, like, savagely beat his girlfriend and was arrested for it and, like, criticized the world over he is not scared to say some sketchy lyrics mm-hmm. mirage the, the lyric is but she want me to hold her hold her down and i'm like anyone else saying that it might be fine but you talk about forcibly holding a woman down chris brown i feel like that reflects poorly on your artistic vision for the song yeah yeah i mean it goes and and, and then it, it, it continues throughout the album there's other songs we'll bring them up as we go but there's some other lyrics that i was listening to um with the knowledge of his uh, legal trouble, you're just like, dude, I don't what think you should. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, bro. We, yeah, we, think... we will get to it. And and also, this was a song where I was like, he swears too much on these like rap songs. He's mm-hmm. like, he's trying to be like really hood. He swears a lot, like more than more than necessary. Mm, yeah, I know that sound makes me sound like a wimp, but he does. The chorus is decent on Mirage. It's fine. Nas, who I was excited, I was like, oh, Nas is on this track. Like, yeah, I love Nas. He sleepwalks through yeah, this, this song pretty much. I, I think he is sleepwalking. Like this line he has, they got some good sushi in Aspen, that good pussy I'm smashing. I'm like, Nas, you're better than this. Yeah. Like, you made Illmatic. You made Godson. You don't, what are you, what are you doing, Nas? And I think he was just there for the dollars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with this song, I listened to it in, in agreement with what you're saying. It sounds more street. I thought it was like a Dr. Dre beat. I was like, oh, it sounds like it could be uh, produced by him. Um, I was excited to hear Nas on the on the track, but he doesn't do anything special on there. It's not unique. It's forgettable. The only po- real positive thing I can say was that it was just nice to hear Nas on there. You know, it it's nice a- to see that he's getting work. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like it's been a, a while between drinks for Nas. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next song, and then we start a like ballady section of the yeah. album. Don't judge me. Okay. This next this next line, he sings in Don't Judge Me, this song. So please don't judge me and I won't judge you because it could get ugly before it gets beautiful. Bro, is that a fucking threat? Are you threatening this girl? Yeah. It I... could get ugly? That is not something you say when you are a convicted domestic violence participant. Yeah, I mean, definitely. This is when the album uh, starts slowing down for sure. It's noticeable because every other, for the majority of the other songs are very high energy um and then this song i guess is i mean i had a little bit of trouble deciphering it i think he was was it talking to like a current lover or an ex-lover i guess so the track the track is presumed to be about um rihanna and another former girlfriend kara uchitran who chris admitted to dating at the same time so this Uh, is like he was two-timing them and this is the song is a a little bit of confessions part two okay uh, 
Oh, that's funny you say. You know, it's funny you, you say that because I've met that. Well, not met her, but I've seen her in real life uh, in Los Angeles. I have a oh, whole really? Yeah, dude. I used to was living in Los Angeles, and I was used at, to stalk Usher. <laughs> yes, I used to stalk Usher uh, like a like a like a like a freak. But um, <laughs> I was at I was at I was during my day job, and there's like this amazingly she was hot this gorgeous girl is like looking in my direction and i'm like oh okay so she starts walking my way and uh she walks right past me and then she goes and gives a hug to this dude tall dude with all these tattoos and stuff like that and i was like oh that's crazy and all of a sudden i see a bunch of security and like paparazzi surround this guy and it turned out to be chris brown it was chris brown just hanging out at the mall and i was like holy shit um and uh he was taller than uh, I, I would uh, realize, but yeah, I saw I'm, I actually saw him in real life. So yeah, you saw, you saw Breezy himself. Yes, exactly. So, uh, but in regards to the song, man, yeah, I just took it as a, a song that it was kind of his response song. He was uh, concerned about people being judgmental about his public image, his past reputation, negative gossip. I mean, for me, it was like a weak, weak song, especially um, since it's so personal to him. He could have came out a little bit harder with either A, an apology or B, a rebuttal. It was just... Yeah, you would, I mean, you would love to see that, wouldn't you? Like he comes out with this like really heartfelt single about how he is has changed, how he wants something different. And it's just, it's so lazy, this song. And it was popular. It was like a, it was like a single, you know. Really, I, I've never heard the song. Yeah, for what what is meant to be, it's just it's uh too little, too too late. So the next song, he, he keeps on this like slow ballad thing, and this mm-hmm. next song, twenty twelve. Okay, so it it's like the the world is ending because the yes. world was gonna end in twenty twelve. So like, quick, let let's fuck before the world ends. Make yeah. earth shaking love, as he says. I'm gonna say this right now. Honestly, the harmonies on this song are good. Mm-hmm. The harmonies are good. And this is the first song where I was like, he can hit notes that Frank Ocean also hits. Like mm-hmm. he he has the quality to voice, but the song is revolting. Mm. This song is disgusting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it's just like like you said, the whole premise of the song is like the world is in. Here comes Armageddon, so let's fuck basically. Like he's just telling the girl, we need to repopulate the planet. <laughs> Because this is going to be the or like we just need to have sex because it's going to be the last day on earth. So let's just do it. Yeah, I like the production. The production was good. I think the just the lyrics were lame. It was just yeah. Just, like if you put other lyrics in, like and you put his voice in this, like yeah, yeah, I'm with you. But uh, like I'm not saying it's as bad as like Yin Yang Twins Whisper Song or like nah. David Banner's Play, which is gross in its own way. But like okay, I'll read some lyrics. Show you how it's gonna be. I'm gonna kiss your other set of lips. Hold your body by your legs and hips. That's gross. Mm. Next one. Girl, I like the way it opens up when you throw it back, babe. And then the piece de la resistance is, I got that pillow for your knees right here. Baby, can you make it disappear? Mm. And so I went on to genius.com to look at the annotation and it says, quote, these lines contain not so subtle references to oral sex. Chris's girl is on her knees performing fellatio on him and the pillow is used to prevent carpet burns. Mm. Make it disappear refers to his girl deep-throating his penis, end quote. Good fucking gravy. That is a lot to digest in a song that is ostensibly like a pop a pop album. I thought it was a pop album. Yeah, yeah. That's why it was curious. It was funny listening to this whole thing because I know he sings R&B, and R&B is fine, especially when it's slow jams. There's a lot of sex talking about, attack, uh, sex talk in R&B. But when it comes to pop music, I didn't think like pop music would have 
this much as a uh, gratuitous sex talk into it, and especially that explicit when it's just like, you know. So like, I know we're talking about 2012, but everything we're saying right now also applies to the very next song, Biggest Fan, because it's yeah. like identical. It's the, he's, just, he's just talking about having sex and the biggest fan, you would think we in a waterbed because all the sheets are soaked. I need to pull your body closer. Let me sex you, babe. Girl, you better not change your mind, which yeah. is very rapey, by the yeah. way. This was, for me, this was the biggest rape song. <laughs> I heard this and I was like, whoa, what is going on? Because I guess the concept is... The f- I, I hate that that's even a category. Like, you, you know, this one is the biggest yeah. rape song, but there was some medium rape songs before. Yeah, th- everything was, you know, just uh, just okay. But now this is this is the the, the where the, it crosses the line. The whole song concept is that he's... I guess seducing his biggest fan, which is kind of weird because it's like, I guess you're taking advantage of this person, but um, yeah, it's the lyrics. No, it's not an option. Girl, you better not change your mind. I'm going to take what's mine. It was like, what the fuck? So let's compare it to, to channel orange here. Like, I think Channel Orange has some like really sexy songs or songs that like the groove is like, I would put it on in the bedroom. Would you put this Chris Brown album on while you're having sex, Pedro? No, not really. Just because I, it's just, it, I think it would just kill the mood. It yeah. would kill the mood. Like you put on Biggest Fan and it's talking about like, we're soaking the sheets like it's a waterbed. I'd be, I would, I'm going to put it this way. If anyone puts this album on while you're trying to have sex with them, you put your clothes back on, you call an Uber, you leave that room immediately. It's just... And you file the restraining order as quickly as possible. (laughs) The the songs in Frank Ocean's Channel Orange, they're not as as explicit, but they have like a sexy vibe to them, which is what bedroom music's supposed to be. Like the lyrics don't have to be explicitly talking about vaginal intercourse, Mm. believe it or not. It can be like Pink Matter or Pyramid. They're like sexy songs with these like long aching synths and stuff that's what you want you don't want like chris brown telling you you can't say no to me i'm gonna like force myself upon yeah, you. yeah that's 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 the the biggest thing i took away from the song it was like it was the most aggressive saying don't change your mind you're not gonna do that you like you're in my bed and basically you aren't leaving until i have what i want i was just like whoa like for like i said for a pop song and then especially all the legal trouble like dude don't you want to uh kind of uh get away from that image or uh those type of lyrics so people don't hate you even more like yeah did did you not have like a manager or something that could that could tell him about this no probably probably not maybe he just doesn't fuck so biggest fan happens I thought we were done. I thought like, oh, okay, okay, we're done with that. No, he has another sultry R&B ballad about sex called Sweet Love, which, you know, there's a song called Sweet Life on Frank Ocean's, which is much better. This has sort of like harp glissandos. And then at this point, this is the third sex song in a row. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I'm just not in the market for it. Like maybe I'm genuinely, I'm not the target audience and that's okay. So I, I went on YouTube and I looked up Sweet Love and I was like reading the comments um, do you want to take a deep dive into some of the comments I, I, I found? Yeah, yeah, I'm interested in that. So Karina Acosta, uh, this one has 346 likes. It says, my ears get pregnant with this song. Love you, Chris. <laughs> Telly x 33 that's the username, just says, inside, on top of you, grinding inside and out of you, love heart, smiley face, 230 likes. That's not even a complete sentence. It's just, just innuendo. Mm. Ed, my favorite, which only has eight likes, Cheryl Edwards writes, his vocals are awesome and another bedroom song. Chris has the best love songs and a great voice to make any woman feel sexy and beautiful as we should with our man or no man. I just love Mm. listening to him singing these songs. He is truly talented and blessed. 
big ups to Cheryl Edwards there. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I'm not the market for it. Maybe it's it, this is like a ladies track for the ladies. Yeah, maybe. Um, I I mean, I, I listened to it. It, it. it could sound like it sounds like it could be on the radio. I don't know if it ever was released on the radio. I know they made a music video for it. So it was a good chance that they uh, put it out there as a single. Um, it was, it, it was, it was just kind of whatever. I, I, I was listening to it and I was like, you know what? I can if they took Chris Brown off this and changed the lyrics, I can see this being on Kanye West's 808s or, or really album. Yeah, really. I, I got that vibe, like the well, the beat itself, um, and it's produced by uh, Polo the Don, who's is a you know pretty big uh, uh producer he's done a lot of stuff but i i heard that and i was like oh i think if they put kanye on this and ch- change the subject matter just kept the beat it would have been uh would have been a bigger hit yeah i can see that i can see that all right so at this point we're like nine songs in which is about halfway for the you know so we, we take a break and at this point i'm halfway into this album i was done i was mm. like i was done with this album I was ready to give up. We're going to cancel the podcast. I was going to call you up like, I'm sick, man. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. And then Strip comes on and the dude pulled me right back in. Like mm-hmm. Strip came on. This song slaps. This is a good song. Mm-hmm. Good melodies, good production. Kevin McCall, his verse is mm-hmm. great on this. It was the best verse on the entire album for me. Strip, I was, and I was ready for more. I was like, this song, this song is what I'm fucking, if this is what the album's going to be like from now on, okay, I'm in. Like this is pop rap at its heights and then it just ends it's the shortest track on the album it's like two minutes 47 or something yeah. you had me chris you had me and you threw it all away i mean how this what do you think about strip am i alone no it was a, it was a good pop song um i mean it's it's super direct like i like the lines when he was saying um you know if we ain't freaking we ain't speaking so it's like oh okay cool um and uh and, and kevin he does have a good verse on it like I, I thought it was dope but you're right it's just it's too short and it's just you i could have done uh with a little bit more of this he's still the worst part about the song because he has like a line like back it up beep beep like a trucker back it up, beep, beep, like a trucker. yeah <laughs> i was like oh chris but this is longtime collaborator kevin mccall who they're actually feuding now they actually hate each other's guts now, really to the point where you know kevin mccall has claimed in a tweet that chris brown owes him millions in royalties that his writing credits were removed off uh, a lot of the songs that he helped produce and chris brown's mostly ignored mm. it and then there was a crazy situation where kevin mccall was laid up in a hospital bed with like a foot injury and he took a photo on instagram and someone said like oh did chris do this to you did chris's posse do this <laughs> yeah. to you and Kevin McCall said, if Chris had done this to me, him and his four-year-old daughter would be in a casket right now. Wow. And then, <laughs> that was that's like a nuclear bomb. You know, threatening toddlers is not like a, a very gangster look. It's actually frowned upon um, in modern society. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is at the peak of their friendship, doing strip together. I really like, this is like my favorite song maybe on the album, mm-hmm. I think. It, it's obviously like pop, but it's not as soulless as another big song that's coming up later. Mm-hmm. Like there's a song coming up, Hint, hint, produced by ben, Benny Benassi, EDM banger, and it's obviously a huge, big song, but it feels so soulless. Whereas this is like, this is what Chris Brown wants to do. Yeah. Just like two two guys having fun over a beat, good production, they're talking about strippers. Well, it probably came through because you just mentioned that they have been longtime collaborators and they probably were really genuine friends, hence their falling out is so wide, so bitter, right? Um, so if they're working together and putting the song together, they probably had the most fun 
doing this song and it uh it shines so the next song is called stuck on the stupid i have nothing to say about the song really i had to go back and look at comments just for think of something to say um because i got nothing to say about stuck on stupid mm. i felt like this is where the album goes down again um it's an introspective song it's just it's 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 kind of bland and, and boring um for his uh, part jeffrey young in the youtube comment said i played this song for the love of my life but i guess it was too late she has moved on to bigger and better things than me if you see this i still love you with every fiber of my being which is like the saddest youtube comment i've ever read in my life yeah <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have played stuck on stupid by chris brown to her bro no yeah and also i just the line it was so so dumb in this song if you had told me to go rock climbing to prove my love to you you know i would have died trying got everything to lose i'm like what what a weird what a weird non sequitur to say yeah what does that what does that have to do with rock climbing <laughs> the next song four years old so this is like a this is a bit of a departure again he's so wild with the style like this is this song is so different from um turn up the music which is so different from mirage mm -hmm. which is so different to this this is like a decent enough introspective song i actually hate songs like this mm -hmm. like the acoustic sort of plucking introspective sensitive it reminds me of like dickheads that would play acoustic guitar in uni on like the quadrangle or whatever. yeah yeah in saying that right in saying that this is 2012 and probably recorded before that probably 2011 and in this song, I can hear like Sean Mendes. I can hear like Lucas Graham's Seven Years. Mm -hmm. I can hear Ed Sheeran Castle on the Hill. Yeah. Like this is a strangely prescient song. If Chris Brown had done an album of just this, it would have been a, I think it would have been a hit. Like if he'd just done Four Years Old and extend that out and get some good songwriters, he could have done Lucas Graham or Ed Sheeran or Sean Mendes before they did it, like five years before they did yeah, it. Yeah, I agree, man. I thought this was one of the better tracks of the album. Um, basically, it's just a song where he talks about what he dreamt about when he was a kid how he's gotten success and now he feels bad or feels sad because he's just not in uh complete um and i i listened to this and, and well compared to everything else i thought this was one of the better songs on the album and i agree if he would have done uh an album more of this style i uh probably would have uh enjoyed the music a lot a lot more yeah, I just feel like there's he had something here, but he because he's so artistically, maybe the people are telling him like he's so schizophrenic, like oh, this is not like you need to have a gangster song and you need to have a lady song and then you need to have an acoustic song. If he'd just like done the artist thing and be like, no, no, let's do all acoustic mm -hmm. or something like this, and he has the voice for it, like his voice, he can sing, it, it would have been successful. Yeah, God, it feels like we've been dissecting this album forever, mm. and it's still not over yet. No because um, this is like the interlude part yeah. of uh, it's party hard slash Cadillac yeah, yeah. and again it's about strippers and I, I've never been in a strip club so maybe I don't identify it's just the world they inhabit um, I don't have I don't, I just, I've never lived in that world um, and maybe I would write songs about it if I had been to that many strip clubs it's just about it I just took away from it it was just a, a song about a party girl she's like the hottest girl like he says uh, she's the perfect body the life of the party um, the beat is cool, but the lyrics are shallow, shallow as fuck. Like it was just, just nothing there. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is just another one that we're just going through. Even the title itself, Party Hard. That's just, it, to me, it just sounds like, like such, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds like such a reach. It was like, okay, now we got to party hard and let's, let's make a song about partying. And I was like, all right, cool, man. And just talk about the a hot girl. I was like, all right, cool, man. Yeah. So let's, if we're talking about like lyrical content, like and you compare it to Channel Orange, I, there is no there is no comparison. Like sorry, there there's just no comparison. Like the the subject matter, the depth of it, 
Um, but even the way that he speaks about women, like it's always like I, they're prey, like I need to capture you or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, Frank Ocean, when he's speaking about like either men or women, whoever he's talking about, it's like it's always like complimentary or he's describing the women in, in a way that like, believe it or not, they, they come off sounding like a human being. Yeah. Um, which I know this sounds crazy for an R&B song. Like there's, there's one in Monks where it, he just talks about this girl, like, and he's hits him and this girl, and she's like, she likes to watch westerns, she likes to fuck boys in bands, she likes to ride me without the hands, and it's it's yeah. it's just like she oh she's like she he's fleshing her out, she has all these different quirks and stuff. Yeah, it's um, a lot more in then, depth. Yeah, or he's singing uh, in crack rock, which I think he like he sat in on his grandfather or his godfather um, doing Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. and he'd sit in and listen to the stories of those people about like they're smoking crack in abandoned houses and stuff and he met this blonde and she got him on the crack or whatever um it feels like so much more real than just oh yeah we went to a strip club and it was great like i know it's not fair because they're way different kinds of artists and one of them obviously appeals to the mainstream and one doesn't but it's just so like this song in particular it would just jumped out at me like the lyrical oh i can't oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're on point there. That like Frank Ocean will, when he describes people in his music, it's, they're three dimensional. He talks about their likes and all these things, and the good and the bad. Whereas like a like a song like this is a perfect example. It's just like she's the party girl, she's the hot girl, she's the perfect body, she drinks a lot. I want to fuck her, and it's just like, all right, man, cool. <laughs> it's just like, all right, that's just that's just what it is. So. So this this is a, a, a weird song because it it like breaks in the middle and then it sort of goes into like an acapella section mm-hmm. and then he's joined by Seven Streeter who does backup vocals throughout the album but this is like her first starring or the, the first time I noticed her anyway this acapella section it's almost like a doo wop it reminds me of Leon Bridges I don't know Dude, if you, I you totally agree like, yeah the throwback to like the 1950s 60s doo wop singer and I was like. Chris Brown can sing. What are you yeah, doing, man? Like yeah. he can sing. This is like the best vocals. He just he's like almost showing off at like how good a singer he is. Yeah. And I was like, what are you, what are you wasting your time on all these other songs for? You're a good singer, Chris. It yeah. it frustrated me. Dude, I I totally agree with you. I listened to this part and I was like, oh, this is a throwback. It sounds like it has doo-wop sound. I was like, it sounds great. Like he's he's hitting notes and everything. I thought it was one of the it's one of the standout tracks. Stripped away, it's just him and his vocals and a little bit of uh, production there. Uh, the only thing that turned like brought me out of it is that girl when she started singing. She was like, "I'll fight you off, but I like it rough." And I was like, "Oh, here we go again." <laughs> he told her to say that. Yeah, yeah. He probably wrote the lyrics, and he was like, "You need to say this." Okay, next song. It's another banger. This is like a, a big, big song. Oh, Don't yeah. wake me up. Which is, is I it. think, I feel like Avicii owes someone royalties or one way or the other. Yeah. This song, "Don't Wake Me Up." You can tell it was like by committee. It wasn't a Chris Brown original. Don't Wake Me Up was written by Elaine White, Alessandro Benassi, Brian Kennedy, Chris Brown, John Baptiste, Marco Benassi, Michael McHenry, Nick Marsh, Priscilla Hamilton, Brian Buendia, and William Orbit. It was produced by Benny and Ali Benassi, David Guetta, uh, Free School, William Orbit, and of course, Kennedy. So this is like this is like made in a lab, like a lot of modern pop songs are, made in a lab of making like what is a good, uplifting EDM banger we're going to do some four on the floor beats here and we're just going to make it for like a, a festival or something. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely what the I took away from it. Like I, I listened to this and I was like, oh, I have heard this song a bunch of times. And um, I was really listening to it in depth this time around. 
And uh, I've just noticed it was like, oh, it's not really that much into it, which is ironic because all these people wrote it, you know, <laughs> wrote, but quote unquote. yeah, but it's just like, it's just the same kind of lyrics over and over. Don't wake me up. And then again, again, and again. And then it's just the, you know, the, the, uh, just a dance song that they're playing in Denmark or any other club in Europe. Um, you know, a lot of autotune, it's not too much depth in it. But it's fine because it's supposed to be like a nonsense dance song just to get the party started. So originally, this song was for Madonna. Oh. Um, I don't know if you looked that up, but th- this song is for, she came out with the album MDNA, which is like, she was hanging out with Diplo a lot and she was trying to do EDM. I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. phase of her life. And then Orbit, who like wrote the song properly, gave it to Chris Brown instead because it, it just didn't work out. And I was thinking like, if Chris Brown just wanted to make lots of money, yeah, he could just do this these songs, right? Like these songs are wildly popular. He could just team up with like, Martin Garrix every three months or something, add some vocals to it, do a dance video, and he would be multi, multi, multi millionaire, which he already is, I know. But I think he does have a little bit of like artistic, like he wants to show that he's a little bit tougher than this and he wants to show he's a bit more sensitive than it. Like Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of artistry to him. The next song, Trumpet Lights. Now this is the last song I I wrote notes on because after this we're into deluxe exclusive Mm -hmm. extended edition category. Yeah, yeah. And I I just couldn't. So Trumpet Lights, I like the vocals. Is someone called Sabrina Antoinette, I think. Yeah. Absolute shit everywhere else. The vocals by her are great, but like you, and you had these sort of like pound, there are these like pounding aggressive drums and like chanting and i was like this is like a wannabe he listened to lost in the world by kanye west or maybe like an early cut of black skinhead or something and he's like i'm just gonna copy that like i'm this like pounding chanting tribal thing i totally agree i said it sounds like kanye's love lockdown yeah 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 oh maybe that's yeah that's that's what i was going for i know i know like that exact thing and the the chanting i'm like this is just a copy it's it's just a copy and but a bad one yeah i i found this to be the most annoying song out out of the whole album but also now i'm already like what 19 tracks in so my uh patience is running thin <laughs> it's razor thin yeah but this was i found it was the most annoying track uh it sounds like alien music to me it was like sparse the drums are banging it's a lot of auto-tune i absolutely hated this song so um did you have stuff for the extended deluxe tracks any standouts do you want to go through it because I, I i listened to them but i couldn't tell you anything about them um i i did listen to a little bit of them the next one uh, it's a song called tell somebody um it's produced by polo the dawn and i and i did like the beat which um is ironic because i I'm, i it just turns out i'm a fan of polo the dawn like any of those beats that he that he'll make that he makes i just found it to be really good but as far as lyrics or him singing or anything like that it was nothing it was just nothing to really comment on and then um there was uh the next song after that is called free run where it's a song about him basically actually running and, and it sounds like he just wants to run away from his problems and things like that and and it's uh in the same vein as a uh, four years old it's a little bit more introspective but it's still n- really nothing to comment on and then after that point i was just like i i just i don't know if i can do any more just because when we spoke i asked you too i was like are we are you doing the deluxe version the standard and once you told me you're doing standard i was like i'm gonna save some brain cells so that was the album okay regardless of what you want to say about the critical quote-unquote acclaim of this album it was 
absolute commercial smash hit, right? Debuted at number one, Billboard 200, went platinum. So it doubled Channel Orange's sales in the US, nominated for a Grammy as well. Um, Chicago mm-hmm. Tribune writer Greg Cott called the album a pure pop candy cane meant to be enjoyed, consumed, and forgotten, which is a very accurate quote, I think. Time magazine wrote a very scathing article on it, and they right. said, this is the last line in the article, and I think it is quite um, vicious, quote, Spend your money on something else, something better, something by someone who hasn't punched Rihanna in the face, which, as far as we know, is anyone else, end quote. Wow. To me, this album was not very good. <laughs> that wasn't clear. But also, it's just, this album is so of a time, and people were like, what did, what did the 2010 sound like? This is what it sounded like. It sounds so dated to me. Not that it's necessarily unpleasant, but these albums that we're talking about, these two albums, came out a week apart. And to me, Channel Orange, I listened to it, Channel Orange could come out tomorrow and it would still sound quite fresh. Mm. It's not to do with their voices. They both have great voices, but the production choices are wild and so disparate. The songwriting is, like, Frank Ocean is 10 times the songwriter Chris Brown is. Chris Brown's probably 10 times the businessman, 10 times the dancer, probably 100 times the dancer. Entertainer, but in terms of songwriting, not even close. And in terms of listening seven years eight years later on my headphones in my room there's no competition absolutely no competition i can't believe this album was nominated for a grammy the same one that channel orange won thank god but how did this get nominated um that is probably like a a down year that year like i just <laughs> seriously um slow no, day at the, slow day at the grammy office it has to be yeah i agree with you um the production i feel is all over the place it starts off hard, then it slows down, and then it's back up, and then it's, you know, then it's sparse, and then it's EDM. Like, it doesn't, it, it, it feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be. It wants to just take a lot of elements and just put it out there and, like, see what, 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 uh, what sells, whether it be, you know, uh, turn up the music, don't wake me up. We're, you know, it, I feel like if it was a whole album like that, then it's fine because you at least have some uh, consistency and um so you can just say oh, listen we're doing a dance album things like that and we're like oh fine whatever and then it's it becomes a song of i mean excuse me it comes uh it becomes an album of just singles and, and and club bangers and stuff but then you have other tracks where you have uh you know let's get big sean and Nas on it to be like the hard hip-hop tracks and then you have other tracks was just like this is how i feel inside and even the songs where he sings about how he feels and um they're trying to be introspective. Like the, sh- the lyrics are so shallow. Like you don't learn anything new about the guy. Uh, and mostly you don't care. He's like, all right, cool, whatever. The- despite the fact of his legal trouble, like I, 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 I can separate the art from the artist. And yeah, I know that, you know, he, he beat the shit out of this girl and I was still open to listen to what he had to say about it. And I just didn't care because it just wasn't enough, whether it be remorse or rebuttal, um, through his music it just wasn't enough for me to really give a shit and continue so at the end of the album i just didn't care i probably will never listen to this album ever again i might listen to shockingly <laughs> yeah <laughs> i might listen to turn me turn up the music or don't wake me up and I, but i won't listen to them in for my own personal uh, uh enjoyment i'll put them on a, a party playlist you know if i was just making a playlist just to get the party banging i'll put them i'll put that stuff on but other than that i'm not really uh uh, going back to this album at all 
As for what he's up to these days, obviously it hasn't detracted from his career too heavily. He's a very wealthy man. On uh, April 29th, 2020, Chris Brown announced the release of a collaborative mixtape with Young Thug, Slime and B. It was released on the 5th of May, uh, in, recorded in his house during the COVID lockdown. Oh, wow. So he's still making music and still doing gangster stuff. Um, I want to wrap things up. Pedro, thanks so much. If you had to choose one song to show to people, one decent song off the album, what is the best track on the song that you would show to people? Oh, that is a good question. I think I would do Don't Wake Me Up just because it's it is a banger and it's not that complicated. The lyrics are repetitive. Don't wake me up. Don't wake me up. And it's just that's just what it is. It's something for someone to listen to and not think too much about. I would choose Strip. You know, I choose Strip because I think it's the truest to what Chris Brown is. And it's the closest mm. evolution from the songs that I, you know, he used to make that I kind of like, like Kiss Kiss and, and stuff like that. Um, I will never listen to this album again. And uh, God willing, hopefully you won't either if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, that's it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. And um, we'll see you next time.